Hello, listeners. I'm Zach, and I'm Valina, and we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant to Be a Podcast. We're gonna cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on, and today we will be continuing with Tales from the Dark Side with the episode, The Word Processor of the Gods. And if you don't already know, this episode is based on a short story by Stephen King of the same name. The teleplay was written by Michael McDowell, who you might know from the last few episodes as the writer of the short story that the episode Slippage was based on, as well as being the writer for the episode Inside the Closet. And the main character in this episode is Richard Hagstrom, who's played by Bruce Davison, who has been in so many movies. He's the kind of guy that looks so familiar that you know you've seen him in something. And you know what? You have. It doesn't matter what movie you've watched, he's been in something, and you will know him if you look him up. But here's, like, a couple of things that he's been in. He was Senator Kelly in the 2000s X-Men movies. He was the voice of Lord Zuko in Legend of Korra. He was Francis Mathias in The Lords of Salem, a Rob Zombie movie. And he's also in the new Creepshow series that's on Netflix. And that's just a couple of things he's been in. Like, he has just got these never-ending credits. Mm -hmm. Like, he's in so many things. And the rest of the cast don't have pictures on the IMDb page. Which means they're not important enough to talk about. (laughs) So we won't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's too mean, actually. Okay, so for the other actors and actresses, you are important in your own lives and in whatever else you're in. (laughs) But not to us. (laughs) So my apologies, I'm just horrible. Okay, so Zachy, please tell us how this episode begins. You smell that? It smells like the beginnings of a dumpster fire. Oh, yes. Oh, just a heads up. If y'all really love Stephen King, and in particular the word processor of the gods... I mean, I'm going to give you a fair warning. We're going to rip this episode a new one. And I don't know that the short story is any better than this. I looked up a summary and it seems to be pretty much exactly the same. As the smallest modicum of credit to this episode is at least it's accurate. (laughs) More or less. So, I mean, I I haven't read it in like a good minute. So I'm not going to even try to make too much of a comparison. But we are Mm. not nice to this episode. So if you really do love that story or... We feel sorry for you. (laughs) It's okay to like what you like. But we are... We do not like this episode. So I know Stephen King has a lot of fans. I'm actually one of them. But Mm. I mean, I His good stuff is good. Yeah, his, his bad stuff is bad. Yeah, so this is just, at least in you know our opinions here, not one of his best. So mm-hmm. just, a, just a forewarning before we we're gonna jump ha- into it. We're going to have our fun with this episode. Yeah. At the episode's expense. Yes, I mean, it was at our expense. We had to watch it. So, <laughs> so continue on with the story. <sighs> we begin this episode opening on a absolutely... Filthy counter. Our eye. This is the first thing we're greeted with. Is just an eyeful of just garbage, just coating the counter of this kitchen. And when I say garbage, I mean it is half-eaten food, just all over. And 
let me tell you folks, it was almost a game in of itself, a little I Spy game, to find all of the products that are in this scene. Like, so much product placement. If this was modern day, all of those labels would be facing forward? Well, they are kind of. But they are kind of, just not 100%, though. Yeah, they're faced forward enough to where it's very clear what brand it is. You Uh can clearly read all the brands. Mm -hmm. But it's not in that modern sensibility where you have characters, like, holding the item in front of the camera, like, eating from Uh it or drinking it or whatever. It's not that obvious. But they're still using the actual name. You can fully read the, the names. It's not like turn just so to where you can recognize the colors of the logo. Uh No, it is like mostly turns toward the camera so I can't tell if it's actual product placement. For all all of you actor folks and uh, models and people who pose and whatnot, this is what you would call a quarter angle where they're not facing dead on. They're facing in, okay, say we are at a six o'clock, right? If you're looking at a clock, it's a six o'clock angle. This is roughly at the like eight or four angles. So that way it's turned just enough to where it's not pointed directly to the side, but you can see enough of the label to know what it is. Like if it's Lanter's Peanuts, we know it's Planters, right? Uh, so that's kind of how the labels are angled. So you can you can clearly tell it's Campbell's tomato soup or Coca-Cola, Diet Coke specifically, or uh, the Planters cheese balls. Yeah, they show you a whole ton of different Planters so products. They want you to know that they sell more than just peanuts. There was SpaghettiOs near the sink. And Ew, again, there was there's a, a lot of that. There was so even many... sauce smeared all over everything. It was gross. And a whole watermelon in the sink with dirty dishes. And that's just so gross. You know what? If this was an... I mean, I know you don't eat the rind, but I mean, come on. Like... <laughs> if this was like an actual horror story, the only thing that would be truly missing from here would be like maggots and like worms. Oh, God. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure the several horror movies begin with exactly that image. You oh, know? Yeah, there's a Hannibal episode that begins like that. Yeah, I think Butcher's Block does too, just panning <laughs> over all this just filth and like insects. And then you finally see like the dead body that's been rotting there forever. And you know what? You're absolutely right. There is the Hannibal episode. With yeah, the kids. that's a band episode. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Any worse, it would be that. But people still live here, and there are no dead bodies in this house, as far as we're aware. So, uh, it's just a filthy kitchen that's just loaded with half-eaten food, and it just looks nasty. And it's the first thing we agreed with, and it never comes back. This is a detail that is worthless, Mm-hmm. because it doesn't have any importance in the episode. Well, it does one thing, though. It makes you never want to eat planters <laughs> again. <laughs> that is true. And it makes me have a lot more respect for keeping watermelon clean before eating it. Mm-hmm. So we pan across this filthy counter, and we get to the fridge, and we hear those radio is playing, and somebody opens the fridge, and they grab some Diet Coke out of the fridge, the whole two liter bottle of it. And we find out that this is a heavier set lady who is drinking the Diet Coke and she faces the label towards herself, which I mean, to be completely honest, I do that all the time. I must Um, know what I'm drinking before I sip from it. 
But in the sense of at like the whole product placement, normally you expect to see that label towards you. So when she sits down, the label is completely away from the audience. It's completely hidden. Again, and a very pre-modern thing to do. Like exactly. nowadays you would make, she would be drinking that with the label fully facing the camera. She would set it down and go, ah. Refreshing. Yes. Enjoy the taste. <laughs> So she's sitting there and she's eating, she's drinking the Diet Coke and she has this big plate of donut holes of various varieties just stacked up in a giant pyramid in the middle of the table and she's eating something that's hidden behind the Coke. And we hear a knock at the door, or doorbell actually, and we hear them open the door because they did, nobody went to go open the door. And we see it burst in like the Kool-Aid man. And it's this meek looking glasses wearing guy who is this very frail white dude with weird kind of, I want to say pewter dog like hair. (laughs) The dogs that have a weird brownish grayish hair. That's what this guy the has. color is brindle. <laughs> brindle. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. He's, he's got brindle. He's got a brindle coat. His, <laughs> his hair matches our dog's hair. You might have heard our dog barking in some episodes. And he comes in with his big box. And and, and just, to, just to give you guys a really good mental visualization. Imagine Stephen King. You have the main character. And so he comes in with this big box and he sets it down and there's this old man also helping him bring in this box. And I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the way this old man's hair curls up around the sides of his cap, it makes it look like horns. (laughs) It's It's not intentional. Little cute little horns. There's no Uh, point to it. There's no point to the old man, actually. (laughs) He will get to him. So he and this old man walk into the house and we discover that this old, this uh, heavier set lady is the main character's wife. And so. Oh, let me just sort of say her name is, well, her nickname is Lena and her, um, I guess like full first name is Adelina. You do not actually learn this until like almost the bitter end. I don't think he ever used your name until like the very end. So I'm just going to introduce that now. <laughs> so an important aspect of what happens while they're in the kitchen is, and this is an important setup because it helps show reasoning for things later. Our, we'll just call him Stephen. I don't remember his name. So Stephen King Goes. His name is Richard Hagstrom. <laughs> okay, so what would you rather call him, Rich? His name is Dick Hag. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to call him that. That is perfect. So Dick Hag goes and he tries to convince his son to help him get the rest of the boxes in. And his son is in the other room and he is practicing his electric guitar. And I was very keen to look for this detail. A lot of times in shows, they'll forget to plug an amp into their electric guitars. And in case you aren't musically inclined, an amp is required to play an electric guitar. That would be like playing a triangle while holding it with your hand. It doesn't allow it to work at all. Yeah, that'd be like literally trying to ride a paper in your computer without turning your computer on. Exactly. It doesn't do anything. It's not on. Because without that, it's just strumming some strings. 
without any kind of acoustics. Mm-hmm. So he and he has the amp. It's just hidden in the background. We know you are dying to know this information. Yes. This, These are important details, my friends. This is this is something that tells you they care about the episode. Yes, they do put little details into it like that. You know, they didn't At remember least. to plug the amp in. <laughs> He's like, later, Dad, I'm practicing. Ugh. To be perfectly fair, I would not have noticed that. I don't notice anything half the time. So, didn't notice that drunk dude in, in the odds. And he was, like, right there, like, on the bar. I didn't even see him. So, Dick Hag Stephen King... <laughs> <laughs> goes to get the rest of the boxes himself since he can't get help from his wife and he can't get help from his son. Well, his wife's eating. And the old man decides playing. to just sit there and continue to talk to his wife so that way he can deliver exposition. Oh, like, and it's a his great conversation. And she asks him, oh, what's in the box? And, and she's she's held up to be very annoying despite the fact that a lot of the time she actually has a good reason for being how she is. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a bit later when it comes up, but just know they're trying to make her be annoying. And it's kind of obnoxious because particularly with that front scene, they're just trying to give you like a shortcut, like, oh, she's fat. We're going to immediately show that the kitchen's disgusting and then show her eating in that disgusting kitchen. Because not only is she providing the filth, she's not being a proper housewife and cleaning it. Yeah, which is kind of BS because she's like, I mean, probably the most contribute, the the member of the household that contributes the most. (laughs) But we'll get to that when it comes up because that is important and we do want to touch upon that. Mm -hmm. It just is more important later. Yeah. So she asks, what's in the box? And he's like, oh, it's uh, it's a computer. I I, I mean, uh, a word processor. And she's like, oh. What's that? What's that? It's basically, in case you guys don't know, because word processors are that awkward step between typewriters and online word programs like Microsoft Word or Google Docs. It's then that weird phase of technological advancement. Essentially, think of it like this. It is to a typewriter what an erasable pen is towards a pen. It basically allows you to correct mistakes before it is finalized. So that is the point of a word processor. And if you ever work with a typewriter, if you make a mistake, you have to throw the whole page and you have to retype the whole page again. So if you get that last word wrong on a whole page, you have to throw the whole page out and redo the whole page. So word processors were highly important at the time they were made. But, of course, got phased out once computers started doing their job. But that is besides the point. She learns that the word processor came from her husband, Stephen King's uh, nephew, and that he had basically made this. But she learns that he got it from the nephew, and she brings up the fact that they all died in a car accident because of their drunkard father, who is the brother of our main character, Dig Hag. Yeah, and she's particularly offended by this because it cost them so much money. Because that family didn't have the decency to have enough money to pay for their own funerals. And it had to come out of their wallet. How horrible. Yeah, Do you she know had the to... price of triple funerals these days? Actual quote. And she, like, literally says it. Like, she's actually offended that they died. Like, it was a personal affront to her. And she actually says, it's a good thing he didn't have more family. Which is just horrendous. <laughs> 
Oh, it's awful. And that is highly unforgivable as a statement. Yeah, Just, like, no matter how bad they are, saying that they all deserve that was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, they're, she's quite horrible, but, like, I mean, everyone in this episode is quite horrible. Everybody is. Everybody is. So, she mentions that she's lucky they didn't have more family. And the old man takes offense to this. And he says, hey, that Johnny boy is the nephew, his name's Johnny, is real good kid. Probably one of the goodest kids I'd uh, never known. And she basically... Ah, baloney. Basically... <laughs> And then I think what happens after that was that they get the compute the, uh, the board processor down into the basement after that. And that is where the old man and Dick Hag <laughs> make a conversation about the old man's relationship with the family that had just passed away. His brother, his, his in-laws. All right? Is that in-laws or is that no? No, no. That's the, okay. The they're just his. Well, I guess sort of. They're his sister and there's a sister-in-law and his like actual nephew. Yeah. So Dick Hags, uh, the the brother of Dick Hag. I don't know what to call him. I don't know what his name was. Um, he's just the brother. Wait, we don't need to describe the family relationship any further than that. That's who they are. But the old man is just their neighbor. And I must say, he loves that little boy far too much. He literally oh does not stop talking about how much he loves and adores Johnny. It gets no joke. That is all he talks about in this episode. Yeah. Is his nephew. It, it borders this on This old the man neighbor. <laughs> just got some red flags raised. I yeah, think. It, it borders on like creepy a little bit, and I think they try to like diffuse it by having the having Dick Hag say, "Oh, you really did love him, didn't you?" And the old man says something akin to like, "I don't know, like I sure did," or something like that. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, in my brain, he says something like, "Oh, more than old man, their neighbor child boy." <laughs> anyone really? But it. <laughs> But that's really all he's... One of the few purposes he serves is to just heap love onto the little boy and be, like, a vehicle for exposition. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's another important thing. Earlier, before he goes into the basement to talk, he mentions to his wife... What was her name again? Lena. Or Adelina. But he called Ad Adelina. Adelina. He mentions to her that he... Thus boy, Johnny, said that he needed to get this done before he, like, ran out of time or something along the lines of that. And he was like, oh, it's, it's funny. It's almost like he knew that he didn't have a lot of time left. And that is an important thing that we won't get to later <laughs> because they don't get to it. Yeah, the old man <laughs> is just there to act like he knows all this magical stuff that's happened. It's so unimportant because mm -hmm. we'll see how the word processor works. And we do not need another character to sort of explain to you that it's spoopy and it's it's magical. And ooh, we don't need this. He's really annoying because he doesn't serve a real purpose. Mm -hmm. He just serves to tell us what we're actually seeing with our own eyes. But he outstays his welcome, which yeah. is like, if he's just there to make it spooky, throw him in for a line. Don't keep him there for like three appearances and expect him to have that same staying power. Yeah, just imagine if the delivery man from Mookie and Pookie became like a character that kept making phone calls saying how much he loved Kevin or um, Mookie and just saying, oh, he's such a smart, good boy and, and just never like shut up about it and then mention, oh, that computer is special. And then it's just, just it's, it's useless. It's just absolutely like, ham-fisted. Yeah. 
And so they also mention that our main character is an author. And this is an important part. And oh. our guy, Dick Hag, he tells him, oh, I'm no author. He's like, I just had one book published. That's an author to me. And he goes on to say, well, it only ended up in like a bargain bin at Walmart. <laughs> and at the dollar store and, and the two reviews it got online were both bad and like no joke he published one book and it was poorly reviewed and it didn't get that many sales because even if there's a bad book some bad books get a lot of sales but it didn't it didn't sell at all so he's not getting money off of that one book he made so you know what that means it means his wife, who she mentions earlier that she's someone who does something productive around the house, and that's playing bingo, and she wins. And she does. But the thing is, is that someone's keeping the bills paid. It sure is the heck of It sure isn't the main character. And there's no established side job. It's not like we get to see him doing anything. We see his wife get back from work. and or Bingo and gambling. But the thing is, is she's providing for the family. It goes out of its way to show that she's a horrible person. And then, oh, she's mean to him because she, she believes bingo and she puts down the one book he's ever written that was also really bad but like at the same time who is actually paying the bills she said that that funeral came out of their wallet no and... she said she had to borrow money for the oh. funeral yeah but like the lights are still on yeah and that husband is only downstairs working on his next not bestseller so who is making the money it is her i don't know if she's literally playing bingo for money constantly clearly if she is it is working yeah and she probably <laughs> hates him because she's having to resort to playing bingo 24 7 just to keep food on the table while he's a riding... lot of food half eaten food on the table i might add we get to see how much food she puts on that table she makes a lot of money if she's spending that much money to eat half of the food that she gets. Exactly. And keep the bills paid. So I'm just saying she's definitely successful at what she's doing. Otherwise, they'd have been evicted a long time ago. Yes. But the point going forward is that when he's talking about being an author, he mentions that this word processor is going to help him. And he's debating whether or not it's even going to work. And the old man told him, oh, the kid only spent like $30 to make all the stuff for this computer. Oh, it'll work. I wouldn't be surprised if it works. It'll definitely work. Uh, he's, a, he's a genius. You know, he's a, he's a real smart kid. Did you know we made an Atom Smasher out of two cans and five bucks worth of discount materials from Best Buy? No joke, he uses a cheap amount of electronics and two soup cans to make an Atom Smasher. I am not exaggerating this. That is something they mention in the episode. And first of all, the only Atom Smasher that I'm aware of is the size of a football field. And they also bring up the fact that he mentions, like, is that a Atom Smasher exactly? What What is that again? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I, w I was never big into science. And uh, I feel like that's a bit telling, just as a Stephen King possible mouthpiece moment. You know, <laughs> considering Stephen King doesn't do a huge amount of sci-fi, everything, even anything oh, involves in totally space does. has a lot of fantasy elements to it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. When you, when you say space turtle, I immediately don't think science. I mean, like, it is kind of like cosmic horror. I think I've not read Tommyknockers or Dreamscape, but I, not Dreamscape. Oh, wow. What is that other one? Uh, I know that has... It's important is in the Dark Tower series. 
Yeah. But either way, it, it's very sci-fi. He's got he does have a lot of sci-fi under his belt. I just it's not high sci-fi though. It's more like cosmic horror and aliens. It's not really like Yeah, but even high sci-fi has an aspect of magic to it. You know, it, it really is disguised magic. But the important thing is that they bring up the death of family after that when they're talking about how smart of a boy he was and that it was a shame that he died so young because they had mentioned earlier that the brother of Dick Hag didn't do any awful thing in his life that he didn't try out on our main character. So that's just a kind of tell-don't-show suffering of our main character to kind of excuse things that he does. It's a very cheap tactic, but it is important. His wife is mean to him. His brother was a bully. <laughs> So he ends up saying like, oh, but my brother never got drunk and drove me off a cliff. And the old man tells this to Dick Hag. He tells him, yeah, it's always the, the what was okay, it? It's actually, always the wrong ones who die. Yes. He actually straight up <laughs> says, it's always the wrong people who die, Mr. Hackstrom. And then Mr. Hackstrom, a.k.a. Dick Hag says, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I mean, he didn't say it with that amount of goose. I was like, yeah. But I mean, I would have preferred it if he came in as Kool-Aid man. Just, oh, yeah. <laughs> that would have made it a lot better. Sadly, we're, we were left with what we have. Hmm. So then we have a little flash forward from that point. He starts up the word processor and insert diskette. And he's like, okay. And he unsheathes this diskette and... Keep in mind, if you guys aren't technical wizards and know all this archaic technological artifacts, floppy disks were called floppy disks because they were floppy. It was a literal name. They were these little vinyl sheets Wait, that had a hole in the bottom and you would push them into the reader or like the drive My little, and you would press little... it, but they got smaller and they put the floppy disks in little plastic cases so they wouldn't get torn. Oh, because I so, use little tiny square ones. Yeah, floppy disks later in the 90s were these little small... The save buttons on most programs are older or newer floppy disks, but the old floppy disks that inspired the name were floppy, big, square, and black. And so he puts one of those old floppy disks into the drive and pushes it in and pushes the little inject button i guess and it pops up and, oh happy birthday uncle richard and he's like oh i forgot it was my birthday and i'm just thinking how do you not know do you mark the calendar like I can't... You, you have to know at some point i feel like multiple times during college me and my friends have at some point forgotten that our birthday was coming i mean and... there's one thing being busy with pressing stuff that's on a schedule and there's another thing being a hack fraud writer who doesn't do anything besides one book and attempt to write and not being able to recognize that your birthday is coming up. Like, he's clearly not super pressed for any deadlines or anything. He's just trying to write a book and then just publish it. So I think he has no excuse for that. I think he just doesn't care. No one else cares in his life. <laughs> And certainly I don't care. Mm -mm. So it tells him that it is his birthday. So he clears it and he starts writing and he starts writing what is very clearly Z-list material opening lines. My brother was a worthless drunk. Then goes back and rewrites 
my brother was married to the love of my life. And then goes back and rewrites it. And he does this, like, what, four times as worthless exposition? Yeah. Just, just, to, case... just to show you. Yeah, just in he... case you didn't get enough from, like, the exposition with the old man, he's here to retype it out for you, for you to read and for him to read out loud. So in case, again, you didn't hear it from the old man, there it is again. He's like, I, uh, Bel- my brother was married to my the love of my life, Belinda. And you just see this kind of fade in of, like, her face really quickly, just because, you know, you didn't get to see her in the episode. And then we continue on, and he looks and sees a picture of his wife on, uh, was it like a box? It looks like a cardboard box to me, but I don't remember if it was, like, a shelf or not. I don't know. And so he sees a picture, and he writes down, oh, my wife's picture is on the place it normally is. And, and I, that's basically what he says. Is it's, it's in the place it normally is. <laughs> and this time, instead of rewriting the sentence like the last four times he did, he clicks the delete button on his computer, or his uh, word processor. There's a big red button that says delete. And there's a small one in the corner that says execute. And so he clicks the delete button and it says deleting, you know, working. And then done. And he looks and he sees that the picture is not there anymore. Ooh. (laughs) He gets flustered a bit and he's like, what? And he decides to test it. And then he looks and for all of us, he establishes the picture's not there anymore in case we forgot. And he writes, the picture is back where it was, essentially, what he writes. And then execute. And what do you know? The picture is back. So... After that, I don't remember if there's a direct transition into the next thing that he types. I think the next thing he types is, My floor is barren, save for 12 gold doubloons in a small bag. And I'm just thinking, doubloons? <laughs> of all the things. Why not 12 gold bricks or something? like Or dub- money. Or just straight up cash. Or anything but, <laughs> but gold <no>. doubloons. <laughs> he wishes for 12 gold doubloons. Yes. So he gets the doubloons on the floor and he gra- he falls over backwards in his chair for some reason. And yeah, it's not even comical. It just it just happens. It's like, not even no f- done comically. Whoa! Yeah, there's no timing to it. There's no sound effects. I mean, it, it's like the it's actor awkward... actually trips and then they're like, yeah, let's just keep that in there. Let's work we- it in. Let's work it yeah. in. Yeah. And they... <laughs> He's on the ground on his back and he just twists and grabs the coins and then he gets up and he's already in the kitchen because of the cut and he grabs a ounce weighing machine and I don't know what those are called. Scales. Thank you. God, I haven't used one in so long. A scale. He grabs a scale and he dumps the doubloons in there and it's some number like 20 or 20 ounces. It doesn't really matter. It's <laughs> And then he looks at a newspaper and he reads, oh, gold are in historic prizes today, yada yada. And he does the calculation, finds out how much money that those doubloons are worth. And, oh, he gets a ring, he gets a phone call and he's like, Seth, could you get that for me, please? And he's like, later, dad. And uh, he actually never calls him dad. I just realized that. <laughs> Seth Seth is his actual son, who's constantly playing the guitar. He's also playing the guitar right now. And he's like, later, dad. Later. <laughs> later, dude. Later, dude. 
So he is like, he's a little flustered. He he throws the, the balloon into the scale. And I kid you not, this is so stupid. He turns around and grabs the phone that is on the wall behind him. The phone was arm's reach from him, and he told Seth to get it. I just, oh my god. If it is two feet away from me, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm picking it up. Mm. Like, it's so easy to just do it. And it's funny, because he gets mad at Seth for not doing it, but not only is Seth, like, playing a guitar, and presumably in his bedroom, where he might not have his own phone, because, like, the 80s, didn't everyone have, like, one or two phones that they fought over, and they shared the same landline? They could have, like, three or four phones, but they were all connected to the same landline. Yeah, but either way, it seemed like he was so mad at his son for being so lazy, not answering the phone himself, when it was literally right behind him. Like, he was the lazy one. that's lazy. That's lazy right there. So he picks up the phone and he answers, oh, hello, who is it? And the old man from earlier, he's like, oh, I, I, I can't call you. How's, how's it going? Oh, How, yeah. How's that word processor working out for you? The old man? We didn't even say what his name was. It's like. Uh, do you care? Well, it's the old of. man. The old man. Well, I'm not going to call him by his name, but just in case anyone else is interested, his name is supposed to be Tom Nordhoff. I, I literally wrote Nordo in my notes because I could not hear his full name. I like Nordo. So but... Viejo yeah. <laughs> calls, and he's like, oh, how's that word processor? How's that word processor treating you? Oh, oh so oh, good. Oh, so good. Ways you can't imagine. And he's like, oh, uh, I got to tell you something about that word processor there. Just be careful. And he, it's so stupid, but let me continue. He calls him and he tells him about his son. Now, you know, uh, Johnny was quite a, a bright young man, but uh, a boy is just a boy, bright or not. And he, what was the wording he says, exactly? He says, a boy is a boy. No, no, he says, a boy is only a boy, bright or otherwise, and love can be misdirected. It's like, oh yeah, you like, get my meaning? old man. <laughs> And I'm just thinking, what does this have to do with anything? He's, Why is he calling him? He just calls to sort of imply to us, the viewers, that, ooh, spooky things are happening and you should be wary about using that word processor. But he was the one telling him to use it. And now he's, like, you, warning him against it. But in the end, it doesn't really make a difference because he's just there to incorporate the spooky thing that's happening. Also, what prompted him to call at all? Like, what made him think while he was just sitting on the couch? You know what? I better give him an eerie, riddle-like warning. <laughs> and then, again, it doesn't make a difference. What he says to Dick Hag doesn't make a, a singular difference to anyone. Had they just removed him entirely from this episode, literally nothing would change. Yeah, it, it really wouldn't. He adds nothing but those sweet, sweet minutes to reach length. The, the length re- requirement. And it, that's all he's there for. And this is the last time we see the old man. So this isn't supposed to be at least what you would consider in a normal horror convention. This would be the important last words he leaves the main character with of which they make their decision off of after that. Right? Like any Cabin in the Woods movie where someone says, oh, you better not go up there. It's the ultimate decision of the main characters to decide, you know what? I'm going to go up there. Like and then ultimate, <laughs> Exactly. It's just ultimately because they don't do something or they don't heed advice that the stuff happens to them. It's an important thing. It normally is an important thing. And this, it's just like either way, 
this wouldn't make a difference. It's not adding an option of like, hey, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't. Because there's nothing that before or after the call is going to make a difference to Dickhag about whether or not he's going to continue using it for the purposes that he does. So it's all worthless. Later, he goes back to his word processor. Uh, he, he loads the machine back up. And the birthday message pops up again. And Dick Hag says, It sure is a happy birthday. You bet your sweet life it is. And, oh, God. That is just... What would possess him to say that? It's not even a common saying. Yeah, and it's it's silly because, like, the word processor makes some sort of a sound. And he just immediately apologizes. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, but like he's in it. Like, like Mookie is in the computer. Yeah, it's it like, makes no sense because there's really nothing to indicate that he's alive inside the processor. I mean, the processor itself is somewhat alive. Or at least it's magical and it's applied to be magical and all this stuff. But it is not Johnny. So I don't really understand why he was apologizing yeah, Johnny to built it. it and he had some weird level of awareness of his mortality that led him to finishing it mm. but it, this has so many unanswered questions revolving that so he writes down that he has ideas for 10 best-selling novels oh what the heck 20 best-selling novels and, and like... seth is is rocking out up there he's playing guitar hero just just playing and strumming and just taking up a lot of audible sound and whatnot and that's when dick hag's like seth could you knock it down up there i'm trying to work and he's like whatever dad <laughs> and when he's writing out oh, 20 best-selling books the power goes out and we hear seth in the other room just bingo He's like, Seth! He's so proud of himself, that boy. <laughs> it's pretty funny, At this actually. point, I actually believe Seth is legitimately trying to annoy his dad. And I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I'm on, I'm on Seth's side. And you'll see why. So, Dig Hag plugs the fuse back in, because he, he popped the fuse. And he comes back to his computer, and he gets the program started back up again. And this time... He decides to put in a different wish. Wait, I just want to mention, he also kind of throws like a little fit over the fact that the the, the fuse blew right when he was about to type this wonderful thing in. And one it's like, sentence. It is one whole <laughs> sentence that you could literally type in again. And it, it's so stupid, I think. He's like, 10 you know, best-selling novels. Oh, 20. When it's like, why not... 100 why not why not just type in something and like i will never run out of ideas for best-selling novels why also, limit yourself also why not put critically acclaimed mm. best-selling novels get the best of both worlds yeah he's just so unimaginative it's really clear why his books aren't bestsellers because this guy <laughs> cannot think things through you he could have typed in anything but he does something like that it's just kind of embarrassing for him so what happens next is he starts typing in, my son is Seth, middle name, Hagstrom. And a little detail about him I don't quite remember. And he sucks. <laughs> and he sucks. He clicks delete. And you see it working. And you, see, you hear the guitar playing upstairs. And then, done. Gone. And you, you no longer hear the guitar. And for a second, Hag, uh, Dick Hag is just like, Seth! <laughs> he runs upstairs. And the reaction to Seth being gone now is absolutely 
insane. Yeah, it's it's literally horrible. Like, his first response is, he's gone! And he's taking all his junk with him! He just murdered his own kid. Vanished. Deleted. Yeah, and he's, like, so happy. It's like, I'm sorry, but they did not do enough in this episode to show that that kid was anything more than just annoying for having a musical hobby. I know. And another thing that makes this even worse is it's not like Seth is shown being a bad person. Exactly. He's just loud and he doesn't want to do things while he's practicing Mm -hmm. keep in mind he didn't say do it yourself dad he said later Mm -hmm. as in i will do it when i have the time and that tells me that it's not just like whatever dad you stupid it's like i'll i'll do it later when i'm done practicing this is more important to me Mm -hmm. and i don't think he deserved to die for that yeah, or I mean, even if, even if he was saying mean things to him, which I believe he does in the in the story, that he actually he and his friends actually mouth off to him real bad, and that's that's what causes him. Wait, to Wait, other delete characters? Him. Yes, his, <laughs> he had his band members because he's in a band. But oh. that's what that's what spurs uh, Hagstrom to like delete him. But here, not that that is at all called for, even in the story. Or justified. But. Here they do even less. All they all they show is that he doesn't want to do what his dad tells him to do, at least at the moment. Mm-hmm. And he's oh annoying because he's playing a musical instrument, but like he's not doing anything wrong. And if anything, you should be happy that his son is concentrating on music. I mean, maybe that's cool, of course a more modern sensibility that oh it's so good to play an instrument and stuff instead of being on a phone or playing video games or whatever. But it just seems so unreasonable for him to be so. I to mean, be executed for it. Yeah, for him to hate his own son so much while at the same time being, like, utterly obsessed with his nephew. Yeah. You know, it's it's really weird. It, it just, it in It makes no the main way, character not at all relatable. Yeah, it keeps the main character from being someone you can sympathize with. Mm-hmm. Because are you supposed to sympathize with him because his wife doesn't like him and is mean? Because if you're just trying to make the main character look nicer because the other characters around him are more of a jerk, it, it actually doesn't make me like him more. It just makes me like everyone less and it makes me not like this episode, period. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the wife's saying those horrible things. I mean, those, I mean, it's pretty bad. She's clearly unlikable. But having the this man murder his own son, that, like, immediately killed any sense of sympathy I had for his plight at all. Mm-hmm. Because he's so happy about it. And it's like, I, I just can't get behind that. And this is brought up in the next scene where he goes into the next room and he is walking into this unlit room and it's bright blue and the door opens and his wife is on the other side of the door and she's got mascara just running down her face and she's in funeral attire. And she's like, you killed Seth! And it's this kind of nightmare sequence where she is blaming, or I mean, rightfully blaming mm-hmm. Dick Hag for the murder of his own son. And she's telling him like, oh, you hated Seth and like you hated me and you you didn't marry the girl you like because you're too much of a wimp. She was and, so beautiful, you couldn't so- propose. <laughs> That's an actual line. And she's like, all you ever loved was that Belinda person. That you always hated me and your son. I always love Johnny. And he says, and I quote, I only love Jonathan because he was a fine young boy and Seth was the creep. 
And I'm just thinking, okay, of course, creep has a different context back in the day. It was more of a general use insult than it was more of like uh, somebody who does kind of well, I guess creepy things. It was more of a general insult back in the 80s, but it still doesn't feel right. We don't see anything weird or off-putting about Seth other than he plays music. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel justified for murdering him. Mm-hmm. And he continues like, I, I didn't kill him. I deleted him. Yeah. And, and then as- the, the light turns normal and the, the room suddenly gets brighter and the air lifts. Yeah, he's like literally, it's like the narrative is like, oh, it wasn't murder after all. We should forgive him. And like immediately sets about creating this atmosphere to where we should visually see him in this less, literally less horrific light. Mm -hmm. And it's really obnoxious. Like, no, I don't care. You literally did kill him. Like, you can change my mind by turning the lights on. (laughs) But what does happen is that the doorbell goes and he goes over to open the door, and she, his wife, is standing there with a big old turkey. It's, like, big. Oh, yeah. And in case it wasn't clear, all that was just kind of mini-hallucination. Yeah. And it ends as soon as his, his real wife, like, marches in. And he's like, that's the biggest turkey I ever saw. And she's like, oh, I won it in the in the raffle or the bingo game. It was a game. bingo game, like the preacher. The Thanksgiving game was made a week early because the preacher had a kidney stone that he had to get out. So puts it in the fridge, at freezer. And she's literally <laughs> bringing home. The well, not the bacon, right? but the... the turkey. I mean, she's bringing home dinner. Mm-hmm. And while he was murdering his son and writing horrible novels that aren't seller, she's actually bringing him food based off of her bingo games. So someone here is useful. And so he puts it in the fridge, and he is kind of testing whether or not Seth existed in any measure. So he's like, yeah, you ever regret not ever having children? And she says, what in the world would I do with a rug rant? <laughs> he mentions like, oh, it's, I don't know. It's just kind of a thought. I'm surprised the old man just didn't call to make sure that we, the audience, knew what those intentions were. I know, right? Because that was a little bit of something they allowed us to just figure out by watching it. I know, right? Like, I, I felt like my hand was getting cold by not being held. <laughs> so he mentions that, oh, yeah, hey, it was it was also my birthday today. And she's like, oh, well, if you, if, you know, if you make a wish on your birthday, it'll come true. So wish for some damn money. And that's a quote. So mm-hmm. <laughs> he's sitting there and she's like, <laughs> and literally those sounds are pretty much exactly what his face is making. <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, you're, you're going to say that to me, huh? Well, let's see what Mr. Typewriter of the Gods has to say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, word processor. <laughs> so he goes down to the basement, and that was all the provocation he needed to murder his wife. So now... Well, he already murdered his own flesh and blood child. Might as well murder his wife. Mm-hmm. So he types in, my wife is... Mrs. Adeline Adelina? something. Adelina Mabel uh, Hagstrom. That was the full name. And execute. Uh, not execute. Uh, delete. He deletes her. And then he is completely... Like, her picture on the, the box is gone. He is completely alone. And being the absolute just amazing author he is. And keep in mind the computer's starting to smoke. And I actually have reason to believe it might have been the short-circuiting 
a blowing of the fuse that might have caused the computer to start to get destroyed? It it could be, or it could be that it's nighttime. Maybe this only works for his birthday, because it begins with, happy birthday, Uncle Richard. So perhaps it's, like, nearing 12 o'clock and his, like, birthday power is, like, running out or something. Hmm. It's not clear, at least not in the episode. But... He writes this absolutely just best-selling novel idea. I live alone. Except. (laughs) Except I don't. It's it's like, who writes like that? You either write, I live alone, or I live with my wife and my son. And, And spoiler alert, he wishes for his wife to be Belinda and his son to be Jonathan. But, like, just to continue on with that, who writes like that? It's, it's just so on the nose. You know, just like, and, and, or not on the nose. It's like the word beats I'm around the nose. <laughs> like, it makes you think you're going the one way and then turns around real quick and goes the opposite way. Like, it's. it's... Everything was calm except for when it wasn't. Everything like... ex- was calm except for the storm raging outside. It's like, well, then it really wasn't calm now, was it? <laughs> like, despite might have been a better word because it, it has a little more of like a creative workaround, I guess. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's. Uh, drop in an ocean uh, of problems with this. So the computer's smoking, and he's typing down as fast as he can. Oh, I live with my wife and my beautiful son. And the computer's just like, overload, overload. And it's starting to get smoke excessively, and the printer is going, overload, overload, and all of that. And Mookie just starts screaming, overload, overload. <laughs> he's like, I live with my wife and my beautiful son. I live with my wife and my beautiful son. And he keeps typing that furiously, relentlessly, trying to type over all of the overload things. A computer bursts into flames. It it almost explodes. It's a small explosion that doesn't hit him, sadly. <laughs> and the smoke clears, and he is completely alone, just left with nobody. He looks around the world just is empty and cold. And he looks outside, there's no one. There's nobody left. And we realize that he didn't get the full wish, but instead he got stuck with the, I live alone. And he's left to sit there and think about all of the problems that he created and the worst possible ways to have solved those problems. And he's left with his foul mistakes. And that is the end of the episode. I wish. (laughs) I wish. No, what actually happens is that it explodes. And we hear Jonathan come downstairs. Johnny, little little Johnny. And he's like, oh, Dad, are you all right? You all sounded like it was real bad down here. And Dick Hag is like, oh, no, it's, it's fine. And he's like, oh, I don't know what inspired me to use all of these cruddy parts. And oh, he also adds, honest to God, I don't. It's like I had to. Ooh. He's like, well, I guess you'll do better next time. And he's like, yeah, I'll try to cannibalize what I can off of this and, and to throw, of the rest, throw the rest of it in the dump. He's like, yeah, you, you do that. He's like, Ma, Ma has uh, cocoa if you want some. I do. I do. <laughs> and then they dramatically turn. And there is Belinda, his brother's wife, now the loving wife of our main character, Dick Hag. 
Yeah, and also just to really hammer the image home, she has like she's backlit, so she's surrounded by this white halo just all around her. She's wearing this white frilly shirt, and she has this little heart necklace. And some temp behind the camera is like waving a fan to get a little bit of breeze on her, so her hair almost flows a little bit as the credits roll, and that's the end of the episode. So this murderer gets everything he wants. Yay. Yeah. Valina, I know you're preaching to the choir with me, but why don't you tell the rest of the audience how you feel about this episode? I hate it. <laughs> I, I really hate it. It was it was painful to sit through. It was, And I had to watch it like twice. It was awful both times. I watched it three times. I got to have to recount the plot. Yeah, I it just it's just not good. Like every character is unpleasant. There's really no one to root for. I feel like with the main character, they try desperately to make you like him by making him super meek and by having other characters supposedly be pushing him around. Like his wife is really horrible and unpleasant, but they're trying to frame her as useless by having like a useless job. Oh, I play bingo. And it's just seriously not the case because the husband's well, been shown don't to forget, be useless. They're also, they're also pushing a rather misogynistic idea of an ideal she's supposed to be at and is not considering she doesn't clean the house. And she's the one bringing home the money. Like, it's so much straightforward misogynistic. Oh, oh, oh don't forget that she's also fat. And she oh, eats, that's a big thing, she too. She eats too much. And that's just immediately horrible because she doesn't look so beautiful like Belinda. Because keep in mind, we know nothing about Belinda other than she's beautiful. Her and name she was in an abusive. And she was in an abusive relationship with his brother. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about Belinda, but I don't know anything about Belinda. And yeah. we don't really know. She's an empty slate. Yeah, that he like just projects this just wonderful, happy life on. Mm-hmm. And it's it's... It's just kind of cruddy because, like, they really do try to just tear this wife down. Like, oh, look how horrible she is. Except for the fact that the only thing... Well, her personality is horrible. Like, she's really horrible and she says really insensitive and mean things. But when it comes to, like, say, comparing her to her husband... I mean, I don't know, like, what she's doing all day. I straight up presume it's bingo. But she is bringing money home and it is not the husband. And I do want to mention this, too. Now, this doesn't excuse how absolutely callous that is mm-hmm. that she what she said but i will say this clearly dick hag doesn't have anything nice to say about his brother Mm-mm. so she is only being fed the information that dick hag tells her so of course she's gonna have a very polarized opinion of this person he was a bad person of which one of his victims is telling her how he was like. Of course, she is going to get an incredibly bad version of this person. Of course, she wouldn't care he died, right? Why would you care about someone who was awful to someone you know mm-hmm. and was an awful person all around? Yeah, and it's quite possible that considering the micro hallucination, that the husband probably goes on and on about Belinda and Johnny to her while never doing anything nice for his own son or talking about him. So she probably not only hates the brother for being like horrible, but also probably resents the both of them for being objects of her husband's affection when he clearly shows none to her which might of course lead to feelings of resentment and disliking both her husband and the objects of her husband's affections i mean i'm not like i said we're not saying she's in the right for the horrible callous statement but she is certainly not in the wrong and she is certainly not deserving death 
Yeah. Her she's... or Seth don't yeah. deserve death. Yeah, Seth doesn't deserve any of this. Like, like the the book has to be a little worse, but again, he's a teenager, so... That's kind of expected. Yeah, and if in the episode you're going to, like, literally kill him off like that, like, make him a little worse. Like, make him do something awful. Like, make him, like, a drug dealer at school or, like, get into fights. Or kick a puppy or something. I mean, not that, again, those things don't even deserve death, but something that would be I... slightly more understandable than just slightly annoying. Yeah. And it's, it's just... It just makes him seem so awful. Like, the father, mm-hmm. for being so overjoyed of murdered his own son, it, it really does make him look like a bad person. And just by surrounding you him with people make who are him bad... make him look like a bad person. No, it just, shows you he is a bad exactly. person. And, and you can't just say, oh, look, his wife is really bad, and his brother, who we never see, was mean to him, so you gotta feel sorry for him by default. Like, no, I don't. But yeah, he no. showed himself Sympathy worse. doesn't come by default. Yeah. Just because someone is bad on one side doesn't make the opposite side look better. Yeah. I it, mean, I do want to give an example of, say, like, Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> you know, Happy Gilmore, for example. Happy can be a bit of a a giant jerk mm-hmm. but he the reason you root for him is because you know he does have good intentions like his grandma's in the home and he wants to get her out so he has good in well, his, is it his yeah. son or is his mom it's his ma i think well he's trying to get her out so he's got good intentions even though he's a humongous jerk and they also put a bigger jerk there for you to hate more yeah you know? but also happy's funny and he's got endearing qualities to him. Exactly. So you can have like a jerk versus jerk, but you have to make that jerk not completely despicable. Because alternatively, the other guy has very little redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. So on top of the main character having re- a decent amount of redeeming qualities, we root for the main character. Mm-hmm. In this, there are no redeeming qualities for most of the characters. I mean, save for, uh, what was her name? Adelina? Yeah. Because she has some funny lines. Yeah, That she's wishing for money line was pretty funny. Yeah, she, she has... Especially considering at that point, we hate Dick Hag. Yeah, so. and she's got some pretty good delivery, even with that, yeah. like, yeah, how much a funeral cost? Like, it's so mean it and just horrible, but she delivers it so, so nastily, it's really funny. So she's yeah, it serves kind of a humor. great character to yeah. watch. Sadly, Seth isn't in it enough, and he doesn't even say more than later... So we don't get to really tell much about Seth as a character, but again, just because there's, he's slightly annoying to a main character doesn't make it warrant his death. And I feel like this episode is really weird when it comes to just the absolute level of instantaneous escalation to death. Yeah, I feel Most like... of the time, these kinds of stories build up to a major event like that. This is a major event. It's not a stepping stone to a major event. That is the major event. Yeah, and I, I feel like what its main problem is, is that it relies too much on shortcuts to mm-hmm. sort of say, oh, see how horrible and annoying these people are? It, it hopes that you already hold it inside of you. Like, oh, he plays a electric guitar. That must automatically just drudge up these feelings of hatred inside of you. So that's all you, the viewer, need to be able to think he deserves to die. Or like, oh, well, good thing he's gone. I mean, I'm guessing. And then, of course, with the wife. Those, those, like I said, those shortcuts that don't really mean anything. Like, oh, she's fat. Oh, she doesn't work. Like, she deserves to die. Which, again... It's like, unless you already have this just hatred towards people who are overweight, like, what, I mean, what's wrong with you? But, like I said, her, her unpleasant personality is what should also actually earn her that. But those shortcuts that they try to shove in, it's just in poor taste, and it really doesn't do anything at 
all to make me side for the yeah. main character. It, it just... reads very blatantly as a shortcut as opposed to like... Because when you're looking at a story like this, you do have to put in as much information as possible in a short time frame. But this is kind of too blatant to be any level of subtle. And you do need subtlety for this to kind of build up a resentment. Mm -hmm. But if you're hit right off the bat with, she's a slob and she's mean, then it's like, well... It already makes you defensive against the writers. Exactly. Stephen King. (laughs) (laughs) It's a shame because so many of his works are so well written. Oh, no, I really do love Stephen King's work. Now, I feel like there are some important topics to bring up with this episode. A lot of them are very interesting questions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hit us with the first major question of this, and that is, in fact, the titular machine itself, Mm -hmm. the word processor of the gods. Why do you think it has the powers it does? Well, I touched upon this a bit earlier about it being somehow tied to his birthday a little bit. At least I think that's the time frame of the magic. I don't think that's like the source of its magic. I think the time frame is maybe his birthday because every time he turns the word processor on, it's his happy birthday, Uncle Richard. So I think that it only works as magic on that day. However, I feel like the I feel like the episode so hardcore pushes this idea that there's some sort of magic going on. The kid has this magic power to mm-hmm. sense machines and he was like driven, oh he doesn't know why, to like use these specific parts. I think they're trying to sort of say either like, it's fate or some sort of guiding hand getting this to happen. Like it was fated he was gonna save them or something. But it it's just so dumb. Like I don't I, I would have just been happy if the the word browser just had these magic powers without trying to push a reason for it. Yeah. Because there wasn't even a reason. They just push this vague thing at you and it's like, this actually makes me like it less. Just take that away. It feels so forced. Like, And keep in mind, not everything needs to be directly addressed as to why it functions the way it does. Mm-hmm. It just needs to have some level of cohesiveness to that explanation. Oh, demons made it work. Whatever. It doesn't have to be super specific. It just has to have one idea behind it. With this as, is it birthday magic? Is it the spirit of the of Jonathan? Is it some other third thing? Like, who knows? You know, they could have straight up just gone with the power of love. Because the, oh both the God. neighbor and the, the main character are just so in love with Jonathan. If he just had the same amount of love, which would make more sense coming out of Jonathan, to be honest with you, because his father is abusive. So if he had this immense amount of love for his uncle or even his neighbor that you're the father I really wish I had instead, then it would make sense coming out of him to be able to have so much love that he's putting into this word processor. He's like hand building for his uncle that he just out of that love could make it have the power to grant his uncle a wish. Yeah, yeah. Like if it was, if if they had a line where it was just like in like a flashback, Jonathan told Dick Hag, you're the father I wish I had. And if I had the power, I would give, I'd be, I would grant any wish that you would ever ask of me or something along the lines of that, where it's like, okay, well, this final thing that he made has the power to do exactly what he wanted to do. Right. That's some level of cohesive magic to it that allows that, I guess. And instead, we we do get a flashback to where Richard is thinking about when John told him he was going to make him a word processor, but none of that, which I sort of mentioned would have been good, was in it. John comes out of the shadows and there's like creepy music playing. Like the whole thing is very eerie. And, and the it makes, background's completely 
and the ba- yeah, linen strung up on. The background is just a room made out of like sheets that are hanging up on clotheslines, so you can't see any of the walls. It makes no sense. I have no clue where they are. And John just kind of comes out of the shadows, just very creepily, and he speaks really creepy, like he's possessed. Mm-hmm. And maybe he is supposed to be possessed, but that doesn't make me think that they have some sort of a loving relationship. It just makes me think, wow, this is creepy. Jonathan's really creepy. Like this entire situation, where the heck are they? This is a creepy place. All of that just is weird. I mean, maybe that's intentional. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's intentionally creepy, but I don't know why they're trying to make it creepy. With how much the uncle and the neighbor go on and on and on about how much they adore Johnny, they should literally have returned it instead of them make it seem like they were just obsessed with this kid and he's just a weirdo. Like, he calls Seth a creep, but wow, Johnny's kind of the bigger creep. Johnny's creepy. Yeah, he's actually creepy. (laughs) Now... I'm going to propose the idea that I had boiling about this episode, this Mm -hmm. theory, as to possibly the inner workings of this whole system. And there's some stuff in this episode, I believe, points towards this theory. It's a stupid theory, just so you guys know. But I think it might work. Mm. Okay. What if Belinda is the god that makes the machine happen? Mm. Now, this sounds off the wall, right? But most important details that I want to mention, this word processor doesn't start doing magic until he brings up Belinda in one of his casual sentences he types, of which flashes her face onto the computer in possibly a meta way to show you, oh yeah, this is who she is. But maybe also in a kind of figurative way of her being awakened within the machine. And she is never seen throughout the rest of the episode, but she's in direct contact with Jonathan and possibly infusing some psychic type of drive to make him finish this. And another important part of this is it breaks once she's brought back to life. And when you see her, she's in this very angelic type of powerful look of the wind kind of blowing at her hair. And she's backlit with this halo of light. Hmm. And that is my reasoning for this idea that maybe she is some, I guess, god in human disguise that allowed this to happen. And used her technological genius son to make that happen. I mean, that might make sense if she was dead beforehand. Like, I like that idea a whole lot. (laughs) It's the best theory I got. But the fact is, is that they really go all out to convince you that Jonathan is the technological genius, that he's got this weird psychic link with computers, and they really just, like, hammer that idea home. So it's really fully Jonathan, because that's what they really tell you, and she's just there because I guess she just has to be. Like, I... (laughs) Had had she not even been a character, nothing really would have made a difference. They could have just focused it more on Jonathan. But I mm-hmm. guess they just needed to give the main character a different love interest and make it less creepy, his obsession with his nephew. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know. I feel like, like I said, I, I like that idea a lot. But I don't think that was the intention at all. Yeah, I have nothing more to say. I'm just going to be repeating <laughs> the same thing had and fit in them. Okay, Zachy. Mm-hmm. So here's my question for you. Okay. How do you feel about this episode? And do you think there's anything worthwhile about it? Okay, so honestly, I'm going to spill the straight truth. and I I don't want to be contrarian. 
but I hate this episode. <laughs> I, I actually really don't like this episode at all, and rewatching it has made me realize how little redeeming factors there are of this episode. Like, I was just thinking back on the other worst episodes of the series that are coming up, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, like, man, but, but that episode has something in it that's funny. This episode has something in it that's just bafflingly entertaining. This... <coughs> <coughs> We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Sorry about that, folks. I accidentally swallowed a bug, but... (laughs) Went right down his throat. Uh, But I have to say, this episode has no redeeming qualities to it. It just isn't funny. Nothing interesting really happens in the episode. All the outrageous stuff, like all the dream sequence, right? is just so mild in comparison to other things that we get in the series that if this was just your typical thriller episode, not the show thriller, just like the genre of thriller, where nothing really supernatural, nothing really supernatural happens, if that dream sequence happened in that, that might be a little more striking, right? But... This is a show where we had a little formaldehyde gremlin kill someone, and we had a dude go and get harassed by Satan. This is so mild in comparison to those that you can't even derive enjoyment from what happens within the episode because it's not super exhilarating. Yeah, a dude is typing on a typewriter or a word processor. And then things stop existing around him. And that is the extent of the excitement. And it's just such a weak story, not just by Tales from the Dark Side standards, but by Stephen King standards, that this feels absolutely just bad in both departments. This is a bad Stephen King story, and this is a bad Tales from the Dark Side story. Even if it wasn't written by Stephen King, this is still so incredibly bad bad of a story with no redeeming factors of the episode itself that I honestly would not be able to recommend people watching this one. You just gotta skip it. Yeah, I would actually like to say, I think if it did have a redeeming factor is that the actors do a good job. Mm -hmm. The lady who plays Adeline, Karen Shallow. See, I, I, I did name drop her. You don't suck. I'm sorry for the mean remarks earlier. She does a really good job with her line delivery. She makes Ping a really cold, mean person pretty fun. Yeah. And of course, Bruce Davison is Bruce Davison. He did a really killer job with the role he had. Yeah. But the problem is, is that that's just not a redeeming enough quality. No, but it's just I wouldn't sit through this episode again just to watch her performance. No, because I have to watch the rest of it. But they could have been worse is what I. Oh, my God. They could have been that this could have been just really horrific overacting or underacting. But the problem with this is with all of its technical competence. It still is an awful, oh, yeah. awful episode. Because most importantly, the writing is The just writing not kills there. it. The uh, good acting, good direction, good. None of that matters if it is not worth watching. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, I mean, clearly this story was loved enough to, I mean, have an episode made out of it. So maybe for the time it was looked more highly upon. But from a modern sensibility, this stuff just doesn't fly. The fat phobia, the misogyny, and just 
I don't know, like, letting this main character just get away with everything because, oh, boo-hoo, poor me. It's just not what one can sympathize easily with. And I don't know if that's also because it's... We're looking at this from, like, 2020 or because we're looking at that just from a... We are also exposed to a lot of horror, too. We have a lot of other things to compare this to and similar kinds of setups for, oh, our main character is unfortunate. But then they get the power to change that. And then they take it too far. And then they regret the power change. Like, any genie story generally has that kind of thing. We're like, they're unfortunate, they find a genie, and they have the power to make wishes, and they try to improve their lives, and it always backfires. Yeah, and I feel like this episode does not acknowledge that the main character is not a good person. He has, like, this tiny moment of guilt that's, like, immediately just cleansed away once he replaces the word murder with deleted. And then it doesn't really address that again. He's, like, totally in the right, and he gets everything he wants. And I feel like if it actually fully addressed the fact that he was bad, or if it didn't let him get what he wants, I would have liked this episode a lot more. Or if it, you know, just straight up did make him a murderer. Like, he didn't have to write it like that. You yeah. know, I mean, clearly he's a hack fraud, but he could have come up with literally anything else. He could have said, oh, if you wanted to be still mean, my brother is the husband of you know, Adeline and the 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 wife. So- the, the father of Seth, while I am the husband of Belinda and They're the father of Johnny. And good old-fashioned trading spouses. Yeah, and also my brother isn't like an abusive, drunk jerk. He could have written anything to make that situation better. Because clearly he has the power to do anything. He can bring people back from the dead. So why didn't he just fix everything? Instead, he has to actually go out and murder his own wife and child. And he just, like I said, as a writer, you think he would have thought things through a little bit better, but he doesn't. Also, another intensely like overlooked thing that he could have totally did with a computer. Just type in when it's frying. My computer works perfectly fine, and my word processor works fine, and it will work fine for the rest of my life. Well, it might not work like that. Maybe it, it doesn't work on itself. Like, hmm. it, maybe you can't wish for more genies or wish for never ever ending wishes, you know? you It doesn't... You can't wish for the word processor to never have any sort of issues. It'll last for that day and that day only, and only on wishes that have nothing to do with the word processor. <laughs> so, Valina, where would you put this on the five-star scale? Well... With a lot of thought, which might change later if things get pretty desperate, (laughs) uh, I have decided that the one star is going to be the lowest review, while the five star is the the best review. Mm -hmm. So there's not going to be a zero stars or half stars. Yeah. And it just keeps things a little bit simpler. So again, unless things get really horrific and I'm like, oh, wow, this is less than dirt. I have to use a zero star system. Unless it gets that bad, that's where I'm going to put it. So that being said, and I probably should have said that a bit earlier... I think I'm going to give this episode a one and a half stars. Ooh. The half star is for the actors. And Mm. it's for the just genuinely... How can I put this? The episode looks pretty good. Yeah. The set design is there. The cameras are focused on the (laughs) actors. There's no boom mic. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not that's not the end of the world. Even inside the closet had a bit of a boom mic. Had the shadow of one on the wall. That's not going to kill something for me, but I just do want to, you know, at least somewhat credit everything else that went into the episode, but just plot and the characters were not there. The writing was just, it just really did not work for me. So... I'm going to give it the one and a half stars because I know another episode exists that deserves the one star. So it needs to be a little bit better than that, at least. So (laughs) 
That's oh, what boy. the one. That's what the half half star there exists for. Funnily enough, I'm not quite sure what episode you are talking about, so it'll be a surprise when we get there. <laughs> oh, I think you do know. Maybe. I'll give you a hint. Watching this episode will make you a meditarian. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I know what it is, but you guys are gonna have to find out when we get there. Which is thankfully a long ways away. But what is not a long ways away, surprisingly enough, is the next episode on our list. So tell me, what is our next episode? The next episode is A Case of the Stubborns. And this is a really fun episode. It's not very scary, but it is sure is a fun ride. Yes, and it is actually based on a short story by Robert Block. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Yes, he wrote the book Psycho. Oh, that's why I remember him. <laughs> yes. A lot of his short stories were turned into episodes for various horror anthology shows, like The Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock, of course, mm-hmm. and, and this show as well. So, Valina, where do you find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Instagram at This House Podcast, and if you want to email us, you can do so at thishousepodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes because it helps us reach new viewers and you can help us spread the enjoyment of this house was never meant to be a dark side with other people that you may or may not know. Well, folks, that's all for tonight's episode. So, listeners, before we fall backwards in our desk chairs, get get out out of our our house. You uh, want me to sign it for you? Nah, I didn't like the ending.